We're going to be in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28. Okay, sorry, right, good. 1 Samuel chapter 28, we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. Uh, I'll read the odd verses, you'll read the even verses, we'll read responsibly. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 15 through 20. 1 Samuel chapter 28, 15 through 20. We'll pause at any punctuation. 1 Samuel chapter 15, or for chapter 28, verses 15 through 20. Ready? Let's begin. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he hath spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord said, uh, will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord shall also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along the earth, and is sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him. For he had eaten no bread all the day, nor all that night. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you so much, Lord, just for the grace and forgiveness, Lord, that we have. I ask you, please, just bless tonight, Lord. Um, These people have come. Lord, they've decided to be here in church. And, uh, Lord, we want to hear something from your word. We want to receive something. Help us to be hungry. Help us to be thirsty for you to do something in our lives. And, uh, Lord, we are thankful so much for the grace you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to use them in just a little while. Saul is the first king of Israel. He was a fine young man before he had been chosen king. Matter of fact, the Bible says that there was not a goodlier man amongst the children of Israel. He had the highest reputation. God never intended for Israel to have a king. God wanted to lead Israel. God wanted to be the leader of the government. But Israel kept rebelling and Israel kept disobeying. God gave them judges, as you look through the Bible, you have Genesis and then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Joshua, the conqueror of the land, and then you have the book of Judges. The judges were those who ruled for a period of time uh, and guided them in government and made judgments, and then you have the kings. But God never intended for Israel to have a king. God wanted to be their king. God wanted to be their leader. Yet... Saul becomes the first king. I would imagine they picked a pretty good feller, don't you? He was young. He was strong. He was tall. The Bible says he was head and shoulders above every man in the land of Israel. In other words, he was a pretty big boy. Uh, He started well. Very interesting. Saul, after two years as king messes up that's when he went into Amalek 
and was supposed to kill them all and he kept the best of the land and he kept the, uh, some of the people alive. And uh, that's when he uh, did not wait on Samuel, the high priest, to come and offer the sacrifice. He offered the sacrifice himself. He lifted himself up in position where he should not be. Say, what do you mean? Because God gave the high priest that job. Watch this, because Jesus was going to be the only one that was prophet, priest, and king. Saul was putting himself in the place of God. Now, God then comes to Saul and says, Saul, you've disobeyed me. And because of this, I'm going to rend the kingdom away from you, and none of your sons will ever sit on the throne. I'll go to your neighbor, and I'll choose me another line by which Jesus will then be the king of the Hebrew nation. You have to understand, that was a pretty big deal. That was bigger than just him disobeying God. God literally said, Saul, I'm going to make sure that none of your children, none of your kinfolk are ever king of Israel ever again. By the way, his oldest son was named Jonathan. Jonathan was one of David's best friends. Now here's where things get a little convoluted if you just casually read the Bible. Saul leads Israel For another 37 years after disobeying God. It took 17 years before David comes along the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 17. When Samuel goes to anoint him as king as a teenage boy. Say preacher, why did it take so long? Because all of David's brothers had already been born and David was the youngest. And imagine just about the time that Samuel or Saul disobeyed God. A couple days later, a couple weeks later, a man named Jesse comes home and his wife says, Are you ready for another? See, they all had jobs. They all had a will and God had to raise up a new king. That's why in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 1, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came unto Samuel saying, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? How long had it been? There are 17 years, 18 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17. God had to raise up a new person who did not already have a will for their life. Now watch this. Saul spends the next 37 years of his life bitter, angry. Most of the time, he's bitter and angry with God. By the way, God didn't do anything wrong. Saul did wrong. 17 years of this rebellion, and David is anointed as the next king as a teenage boy. If you read uh, 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. I'll give you my opinion. You don't have to agree. That's fine. You have the right to be wrong. I believe with all my, with all of my study, believe God, or I believe Saul allowed David to go fight Goliath so that David would be killed. 
He already knew David had been anointed by Samuel. And the only way to eliminate him was to have him killed. Why else would you let a 17-year-old go out and do battle? God said, watch this, dude. And for the next 20 years, Saul tries to kill David. Throws a javelin at him at three different occasions. Hunts him like an animal throughout the woods and chases him with armies. And I could go on and on and on. Saul was once a fine man with a great spirit. Saul was once a spiritual man and now is eaten up with bitterness seeking to kill David. We are in 1 Samuel 28. Saul is so eaten up and angry that he literally goes to a place called Endor and he finds someone there who is a witch involved in divinations and witchcraft who is known for being able to call people back from the dead to talk to people's relatives. Ooh, yeah. No, that's, they didn't ask him to vote. They just wanted to talk to him. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> or be president. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't say that. Um, uh, you have to understand something. And he goes to her and all the witches were to have been killed. But he finds her and she said, well, who do you want to talk to? She said, and he says, I want to talk to the prophet Samuel. Samuel's already been dead. She said, what are you doing to me? I can't do that. I have to obey the king. He said, I am the king. I'm not going to have you killed. See if you can call Samuel up. God allowed Samuel to appear before Saul. If you read earlier in the chapter, that witch was scared to death. That had never happened. And Saul is standing there talking to Samuel. And in verse 15 is where we picked up. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me? Saul, what are you bothering me for? To bring me up? Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me and answereth me no more. Can you imagine knowing God's not going to hear you or answer you? Verse 16, then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and has become thine enemy? God had actually become an enemy to Saul. Can you imagine how backslidden Saul must be? Verse 18. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his uh, fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing to thee this day. He said, it's your fault. You disobeyed God. I love verse number 19. It's one of the saddest things, but I think it's funny. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Now, hold on. Where's Samuel? He did. 
He said, it's okay, Saul, because tomorrow, about this time, God's going to deliver you, and you and your sons are going to be with me. The Lord shall also deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And Saul fell straightway along the earth and was sore afraid. Now look at me. It's a pretty sad thing when a leader falls. It's a very sad thing when a supposed spiritual leader falls. Saul is so backslidden that he goes to a witch to try to talk to the man of God. The only thing spiritual Saul thought he could do is to go to the evil spirits, not to God. Pretty bad when you got to go to a witch to talk to the preacher. Think through that for a second. When the only thing spiritual you think you can do is go talk to a witch to see if he can call up the old dead preacher. That's pretty far away from God. Saul falls to the ground in total fear and is facing death in 24 hours. And he knows his sons are going to die too. Can you imagine the turmoil, the regret Saul's facing? He knows he's going to die and he knows his boys are going to die. And everybody look at me. I'm going to jump back into this in a moment. I've been around a lot of tragedy. I've seen preachers fall. I've seen preachers' heartaches. I've caught the tears of many great men of God who went through some things that I'll take to my grave. I mean that. While we were singing a little while ago, I, the Lord put this on my mind. There's a man named Charles Weigel. Charles Weigel was an evangelist, a preacher. He was a hellfire damnation, soul-winning, King James-only, Bible-thumping, hell-raising, window-rattling, shingle-pulling preacher. He came home from preaching an evangelistic meeting one day, and there was a note on the kitchen table that said, Charles, I've taken the kids. I'm tired of being married to a preacher. I don't want to be a preacher's wife. And his wife and children were gone, never to be seen again. And yet, in your songbook, the words to a song, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I'd love to tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other one could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me. And he led me in the way I ought to go. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know why he came to just save me until someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There is no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. I wonder if we'd ever had that song had Brother Weigel's wife not left him. Heartache. I know preachers who have 
pastored great churches that ended up in jail. Ruined marriages. Children who've just been horrific. I've caught their tears. I sat in my car one day with a great man, great Christian man who has preached many a sermon. Began to tell me how his children and his wife became disloyal to him. If I mentioned his name, virtually every person in this room would know it. I said, I'll never tell. Don't you worry. He said, Brother Bush, when you say you love me, he said, you're one of the few that I know I can believe. I don't get that at home. I don't get that from my family. I loved him. I've watched great people fall. And by the way, preachers are sinners too. Shouldn't shock us when sinners sin. Everybody doing okay? Not all of them have that happen, just so you know. But there are some that do. Saul goes into battle the next day against his nemesis, the Philistines. Saul was scared of the Philistines. Always has been. Here's the thing. Can you imagine him getting up that day knowing that's the day he's dying? Imagine him getting up that day knowing it's the day his sons are going to die. He's going to face God and he's been the enemy of God. He's hurt and wounded in battle. He asks for someone to finish him off so that the Philistines don't get him and abuse him and torture him. And uh, his servant says, I can't do that. So he falls on his own sword and that did not even kill him. Finally, somebody comes along and finishes him off out of respect. Saul died backslidden, far away from God. How could you go from, and I quote from the scripture, a choice young man and a goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. To dying backslidden being the enemy of God. He went from sweet success to the bitterest of defeats. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you imagine facing God knowing you're backslidden? Can you imagine facing God knowing you're harboring sin that you need to get rid of that you're not getting rid of? Saul knew when he was dying. We don't. You see, can you imagine facing God for wasted years of bitterness, anger against God? Can you imagine getting up knowing your kids are going to die that day? 
because of your sin? Because of how bad and how evil and how wicked and how disobedient to God you've been, not only are you dying, but your boys are going to die too. I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. I'm going to plead with you. Don't die backslidden. Don't die backslidden. Let me give you a few thoughts tonight. Number one, we cannot stop, nor can we predict death. Uh, Bible says that we're all sinners. Romans 5.12, for as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all, for that all have sinned. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Listen to me very carefully. God does not bring death to you. Sin does. We have mistaught that, well, when it's our time, God will take me. When it's your time, sin takes you, not God. God made you to live forever. He made your body to live forever. God doesn't come and kill you. Sin does. Everybody doing okay? You don't come with an expiration date. Sin takes it. Well, I believe we have a measured number of days. No, God says that by strength we have three score and ten because of the effects of sin. But you didn't come with God knowing what the die date was. That's because of a result of sin. I believe we can extend that date by living right. I believe we can extend that date. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That you may live long upon the face of the earth. Why? Because you'll learn to live with the wisdom of parents who have lived right longer than you and lived it before you. Here's the thing. None of us know when death's coming. We're not guaranteed to make it home tonight. <clears throat> We're not guaranteed to wake up in the morning. Medical science has helped us with our health. But medical science can't stop death. They can prolong it, but they cannot stop it. Everybody doing all right? So, we cannot stop, nor can we prevent death. Why? Because we're all sinners. Number two, <coughs> Saul knew that God did not want to help him. Saul knew that he had disobeyed God and that God would not listen to him. God would not hear him. And even if God did, God was not going to answer him. He had been so disobedient, so rebellious, that God was not going to answer Saul's request. I can't imagine Brother Jim praying, knowing God didn't hear me. I can't imagine coming to, before you and saying, well, I prayed this week knowing God's not going to listen to me and not, God's not going to answer me. 
I can't imagine what that would be like. God moves me to be right so that I can help more people. I can't imagine waking up tomorrow thinking God's not going to hear me. I've told God the day I can't be used by him, just take me home. Just get it over with. Saul had been close to God. A choice young man and goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he, God said. And now God won't listen to him. God won't answer him. He's been so vile and so rebellious that he won't even take his own child's phone call. I can't imagine that. Saul had seen the blessings of God. And he knows he'll never see it again. By the way, God still loved Saul. God never quit loving Saul. But God had to let Saul wallow in his own filthiness because Saul would not obey God. Just because your children do wrong doesn't mean you coddle them. You make them wallow in their filth till they get right with God. I caught the tears of a preacher this week. Whose older teenage son has run away from home and married a girl in rebellion and got her pregnant. Going around town bad-mouthing his dad in his dad's church. And I've caught the tears of that daddy this week. I said, it's okay, preacher. Hang in there. You just keep doing right. I said, you make a, a path available for him to come back to, but he's got to follow the path that you set, not he sets. Amen. Saul knew God wouldn't answer him anymore. 37 years of rebellion. 37 years of going out and living life not caring what God thought. Saul missed the closeness of God. But he waited too long to try to get it back. You know, you can't get close to God with less than 24 hours to live. You can get saved, but you're not going to fix all the problems you did in 24 hours. 24 hours doesn't solve 37 years. Don't die backslidden. Saul's idea of spirituality was going to a witch to talk to the man of God. That's like saying, I'm going to go to the Satanist church and talk to Jesus. Say, preacher, that's blasphemy. Well, Saul went to a witch to call up the man of God. What's the difference? Number three. I'm going to say this as true, as biblical, and as strong as I can. There is no peace 
when you die backslidden? None. The Bible says in verse 15, he was sore distressed. That, that term sore distressed means under tremendous stress, heaviness, or pressure. He was sore afraid. He was under great fear. He was sore troubled. He had nothing that was settling in him. There was no peace. Everybody look at me for a second. I'm going to mention a few names here. And I'm, I'm doing this in a loving way, in a positive way, not in a negative way. I've dealt with some pretty hard critters in this church. Y'all that knew Fred Skaggs. Fred was the hardest man in the world I've ever won to Christ. He was a giant mountain man from southwest West, West Virginia down in Buckcannon County. He had literally pulled guns on preachers before. When his wife came and visited, I said, I'm going to come visit. She said, oh, you can't do that. My, my, my husband, Fred, he doesn't like preachers. I said, I don't care. She said, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be there when you're there, so you better let me. And she left before I got there. She said, you can talk to him, but I don't want to be there. It was a cold, wet, rainy day in the 30s. Standing in the doorway, no socks on his feet, standing in the, on the wet concrete of the front door of his house, wouldn't let me in, and I talked to that buzzard for 45 minutes. We're both freezing. I thought, dude, if you're tough enough to stand there, I'm tough enough to make you stand there longer. He had never met a man like me before. I was more hard-headed than he was. Fred had emphysema and COPD and he was dying. He'd been on hospice and back off three different times. I mean, he's the only man I know that's been on and off hospice three different times. Tough, hard mountain man. He was hours from death one day. He said, preacher, I'm not ready yet. I said, dude, you're dying. You're going to wake up in hell. You're going to be frying like a sausage in hell. When are you going to be? He said, I'm not ready yet. He pulled out of it. My wife and I went to the house. She and Wally went to the kitchen. I'm sitting in his living room. And I said, Fred, he said, I know Oxygen stuck around his face, <gasps> breathing like this. My wife and Wally are in the kitchen praying. I can see him. I walked down that old Romans road and asked him, what's stopping you? He said, I don't know. I said, just walk through the door. Would you do it? He said, I'm ready now. A tough old man bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. And let me tell you, all of heaven rejoiced, and I think hell did too. <laughs> tough man. <laughs> you all think you're laughing. I'm not kidding. I'm not sure the devil wanted Fred. I mean, it was, he, he was rough. I baptized Fred sitting in a tank just like that. I'll never forget the day. The Barnes took him out soul winning, dragging 
his oxygen bottle behind him going door to door. Oh, my soul. God changed him. I remember they stood on this platform and I redid their wedding vows. And I got the part of Wally that said, love, cherish, and obey. She said, love, preacher, I didn't say obey the last time. I said, you're up here with me and I'm the boss. You're going to say obey. She said, do I have to? I said, yes, you do. How many of you remember that? That was hilarious. It was great. I'm not lying. I promise you. We got it on tape somewhere. Wait a minute. He got saved. Changed. Good old brother Jimbo. Tough old man. I love brother Jimbo. By the way, when Fred died, right down here at hospice, I walked into his room. He got a little agitated and... The, the the chaplain was there, understood why he was agitated. I said, Fred, it's the preacher. He calmed down. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, Fred, while he's at my house, I'm going to take care of her for you. I'll make sure everything's cared for. It's okay. It's time to go home. He had froth coming out of his mouth. I said, Lord, would you help my, my friend, Brother Fred? He's about to come take his trip to home to glory. I said, would you make it easy? Would you make it fast? Fred had his, he just went like that. You know how far away the hospice is, about a quarter mile. I barely had gotten through the door and the phone rang here at the church and it was the nurse at hospice saying Fred had just passed away. He died at peace. I was with Loretta and the family when Jimbo passed. Tough redneck. Jimbo loved his preacher. I saw him the day before he died and, Preacher, I'm okay. No, you're not. You're going to heaven. That's why I'm okay. But I watched Jimbo die at peace. Brother Scott, your mama. She didn't have the easiest of lives. She had you for a child. <laughs> and and Anne had some demons in her past that haunted her for a long time. But God loved her and so did her preacher and her family. I remember just day or so before she died, Jamie called. She said, Preacher, get here. Mom needs you. So I'm, I'm flying down there. She just wanted to make sure being saved is all she needed. I remember walking in as she took her last breath. She was at peace. My mama. I didn't get to be with her. But a sweet nurse started singing to her. She died with a smile on her face, peacefully. I could go on and on. About a hundred years ago, there's a man named Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was an old drunk. Young man started drinking early in life and ended up getting married and had a baby. During the Depression, and 
He would work just enough to get liquor and drink it all away. One day, somebody came into the bar and said, Mel, get home, your wife needs you. Went home and his daughter was dying of scarlet fever and needed some medication. His wife said, Mel, please take this and go to the drugstore. The druggist has the, has the medicine put aside. Please don't stop. Please go get the medicine or your baby's going to die. Mel stopped to, at the bar between there and the drugstore and decided to take a, the edge off of it. And two days later they came and Mel's laying on the, over the bar. Mel, get home, your baby's dead. He staggered home and by that time the baby had been at the funeral home and they went to the viewing that night. Mel Trotter reached into that casket and pulled that baby's shoes off her feet, put them in his pocket to go to the pawn shop to get some money to go get some liquor. Stole the shoes off his own baby's feet to get more liquor. He got so depressed he tried to commit suicide. Sitting there ready to jump off of a bridge. And a police officer saw him. Grabbed Mel and said, Mel, what's wrong? He began to blubber and cry and he said, let me help you. And he took him to a rescue mission in Chicago. Named Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. Where Billy Sunday had been saved. And they got Mel in and dried him up and got the gospel in him and Mel got saved. And Mel cleaned himself up and stayed there long enough to be strong enough to go home. And he went home and knocked on the door and it said, honey, I'm a new man. I don't need the liquor bottle anymore because I got Jesus. Would you give me a chance? By the way, by the time Mel Trotter died, he had started 57 rescue missions with the rest of his life. He died peacefully. But if you die backslidden, you won't die peacefully. I've watched rebellious teenagers lose their life and not die peacefully. I've watched rebellious adults die and it's a gruesome death when there's no peace. Lastly, Saul's death came at the hands of someone who should not have even been alive. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 1. Just a couple pages over. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 1, look at verse number 8. Uh, look at verse 6. And the young man that told him, David, said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. When he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And he answered, 
And I answered him, I am a what? A Malachite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee upon me, and slay me, for anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live. After that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was upon his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord. He thought he was doing a good thing. By the way, it was the Amalekites that Saul was supposed to destroy that he disobeyed God and did not. The very person who took Saul's life was one that would not have been alive had he obeyed God. May I say something? I'm just going to run through a quick list, make a couple statements, and we're going to have the invitation. Don't let the Amalekite of smoking kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of alcohol destroy you. Don't let the Amalekite of anger kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of worry kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of bitterness kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of greed kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of jealousy kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of laziness kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of technology kill you. Don't let the Amalekite of your sinful appetites kill you. Don't die backslidden. Don't face God knowing you've been backslidden. How about we decide we're going to get our life right? Because what is your life? It's even a vapor, appears for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Smoking won't take you to hell if you're saved, but it's going to get you to heaven faster than you want to get there. How about we obey God with how we're supposed to live and dress and talk and act and our attitudes and all the things that God wants us so that when we die, we don't have any regrets. How about we get more concerned about others than ourselves? How about we decide not to argue and fuss and feud and fight? How'd you like to be in the middle of a fight and die and go to heaven and face God with the anger look on your face? How about we not die backslidden? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know about you. I don't want to die backslidden. I don't. I don't want to end up like Saul, the enemy of God, and have to face God that way.